0: And welcome to Ending Physician Overwhelm. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Mello. I'm a family and obesity medicine physician, as well as a certified life coach for physicians. In this podcast, we talk about how the learned habits of people-pleasing, perfectionism, and a lack of boundaries show up in our lives, and how they contribute to burnout, exhaustion, and overwhelm. The healthcare system is broken, my friends, but let's not wait for it to be fixed in order to feel better. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about a common misconception. And this is not unique to our role as physicians, but I imagine that it's quite common amongst high achievers in general. It's easy for us to believe that our actions create our feelings. And let me give you some examples. Number one, Once I become an attending, I'll feel relaxed. Number two, if I could only get caught up, then I wouldn't feel so burned out. Number three, if I could just lose this weight, I'd feel better. Number four, if I quit this job, then I won't feel so stressed out. Now, some of this pattern is what we call a rival fallacy right we imagine that once we have arrived at our goal or the thing that we're trying to obtain that we're going to feel happy that we're going to feel content and worthy and good enough or you know any other number of positive emotions you know that we're looking for in our lives And, you know, it's certainly true that we can temporarily feel different, right, once we achieve something, right? We can temporarily feel proud or happy, um, you know, relieved to have come through something. Um, But this pattern of thinking pops up in day-to-day life more often uh, just in the course of, you know, kind of the day-to-day. And I think it's a problem for us. For many high achievers, there is a sense that a feeling of calm or being able to relax or being able to feel worthy and enough is just around the corner from us completing some kind of task. And you know, with the arrival fallacy, we're generally thinking about bigger accomplishments such as starting a family, and, you know, graduating from or completing a program, uh, giving a TED talk, you know, some kind of big event. But the more sneaky version of this is that when we believe that completing tasks, you know, little ordinary day-to-day tasks, such as chores around the house or answering messages in our inbox, is going to create an ability to unlock emotions that we find ourselves craving. And that's just not how it works. Our thoughts create our feelings. Our actions do not create our feelings. And let me give you an example. Let's say that the task of cleaning out the junk drawer in the kitchen is on your list of tasks, right? It's on your to-do list. And you would love to have a relaxing weekend. Maybe you want to go out with friends. You want to take a nap. But cleaning the junk drawer has been on your list for a long time. And so you tell yourself, "Mm, if I clean out the junk drawer, then I'll be able to relax and I'll be unstressed and I'll go out with my friends. Okay, so you clean the junk drawer. And it looks beautiful. And you go to cross this off your to-do list. And then you notice all the other tasks that also have been on the list for a long time. And now you do not feel calm or rested. You, in fact, feel stressed. And, you know, as though organizing the junk drawer was really a silly thing to do because there are other things on your list that are more important. And maybe there's a lot of things on your list. And you've just launched yourself into this cycle of feeling that what you just did was not enough and that you don't deserve to rest or to go out with friends because all you did was clean out the junk drawer. And this can seem like a very silly example, but I hear stories like this all the time. And some of it has to do with the unreasonable amount of tasks that end up on our list of shoulds, right? You know, the should list. right? It's like the to-do list, but it's filled with even more crap that you heard a friend talking about, or you saw in a magazine, or your nagging aunt asked you about last time she came to visit, right? There are so many shoulds that frankly will never get done, but it's a list that we, you know... Find popping up in our lives over and over and over again, right? That often makes us feel bad, right? And leads to this sense of inadequacy like, I'm never going to be able to do this. And therefore, I'm never going to be able to feel, you know, worthy or enough. Another component of this is that we very frequently compare how we feel inside to what we see in others on their outside. And so if we see that someone else appears to be happy and relaxed, and we see them, you know, joyfully cleaning out their kitchen and organizing their junk drawers in a magazine perfect fashion, it's very easy for us to imagine that if only, you know, we did those same things, right? If only our kitchen and junk drawers were beautifully clean and organized, that we too would feel happy and worthy and be able to relax. But in truth, We really have no idea what someone else feels like inside. And because our thoughts come from our feelings, even if someone that we see appears to feel happy and calm and balanced and well rested, it has to do with the way that they think about their life and the challenges that come up and not because they have a clean kitchen. And again, this may seem very silly, you know, especially in a podcast where we're talking about physicians and burnout and overwhelm, but it comes up again and again and again. This is a common theme. It's a common thought error that many of us share that if we act like other people, right? If we do the things that they do and the tasks that we see them doing, that we're going to feel different, right? That we are going to feel rested and worthy and calm. Another very important element that's at play here is our habit of really intense self-judgment. And I know that not everyone experiences, you know, such critical self-talk, but if you are here listening to this show, there is a very high likelihood that you are someone who has a sharp and harsh self-critic. This is not because you are a negative person or a pessimist. This is because we have trained in an environment where we rely heavily on external validation in order to advance, and we are often led to believe that there is no room for failure. Moreover, we are also often led to believe that if there is a bad outcome for a patient, that if disease advances or surgery or treatment fails, that it is our fault. We are trained to believe that bad outcomes arise from our lack of skills or knowledge our lack of ability, uh, you know, to implement an effective treatment plan. We are often not taught to consider the components that are outside of our control, right? The patient's genetics, their socioeconomic factors, human behavior, bad luck, many, many factors that are completely unrelated to us are at play in every single human medical condition that exists, period. But. Because it is emphasized so strongly that we need to be perfect, and it's implied that there's no room for error, and that bad outcomes are caused again by our lack of skills or knowledge or some other factor related to us, we very frequently develop a very harsh self critic. And this self critic seeks to avoid shame, sadness, and feelings of inadequacy by making us believe that we must always do better act perfectly and not make mistakes, right? That our actions are what create a sense of worthiness. But there is no set of actions that will allow us to avoid 100% of mistakes or bad outcomes or disease progression in medicine. It is not our actions that will change our feelings when these things happen. It's understanding our thought patterns, including the thought errors that we can control all outcomes and being very clear on what thoughts we want to keep and allowing ourselves to have emotions. If I feel sad that a patient with cancer has progressive disease, I don't need to interpret that as a failure on my part. I can allow myself to feel sad. I don't need to do Anything to fix that right now. Sadness is allowed. Sure, I can review the chart. I can see if there's something that I would do differently next time. I might ask a colleague if they would have done something different, right? And I can do that with the lens of self compassion and curiosity and not self blame. But taking those steps also doesn't change the fact that I feel sad. And it doesn't need to either. I can learn to allow the sadness to be there. And why is it that we so often default to this pattern of thinking that we can change the way we feel through our actions? I think that's because, as high achievers, many of us have learned that actions are actually easier for us than sitting with ourselves. Now, some of this is conditioning, right? We've been taught by other people, including people who. Are and were likely very hard on themselves. And, you know, there's some elements of generational trauma that flow from attending to fellow to resident to student and perpetuate themselves, right? The same way that trauma can perpetuate within genetic families, right? We as learners and as teachers can perpetuate trauma within the system. It's easier for me to tell a trainee that they made a mistake and they should have done X, Y, or Z thing, right? Little little Monday morning quarterbacking than it is for me to sit with them and for us to allow ourselves to have difficult feelings together, right? Or to sit with someone and allow them to have feelings without me trying to fix them, right? It's much easier for me to focus on actions. And when there aren't actions to take, it's easier for us to numb. It might be, you know, in groups, it might be alone, but it's very easy for us to turn to you know, numbing ourselves with food, alcohol, social media, you know, overworking, uh, hypervigilance, et cetera. Rather than to really connect with and share our thoughts and feelings and be vulnerable with each other, right? We know that these conversations do sometimes happen, right? I've heard many stories where one attending in particular might've sat down with somebody and really allowed that opportunity to really open up, right. And be vulnerable together. But those conversations are generally not frequent and repeated. They're usually one-offs and they stand out as something that was very unique, something that was particular to that attending. And it should be something that we experience more commonly, right. If we're doing an adequate job of making space for our feelings. If we really want for things to be different, if we want to be able to feel things differently, as many of us do, we have to stop fearing the swamp of our emotions and actually wade in rather than trying to avoid them, evade them to go around to make things easier. We have to allow and notice the emotions and do the work of getting curious about what thoughts we're having that are contributing to those emotions. We need to find safe spaces to talk with other humans about our thoughts and feelings, whether that's a friend or a loved one or a close colleague or a therapist or a coach or some other kind of professional. We as humans need to feel connected to others and how we experience emotions. Kristen Neff, who I've mentioned before, is a a PhD researcher and an expert in the field of self-compassion, and she identifies this component as common humanity or shared humanity. When we suffer, it helps to know that others struggle in the same ways. It's normal for me to feel sad if a patient has a difficult outcome. The patient might feel sad. Their family and friends might feel sad. Why should I feel That, as a caring professional, it's off limits for me to feel sad as well, right? When I'm somebody who is another human that's in their life. Now, I may not be able to, it may not be appropriate for me to get so stuck in the sadness that I can't help them, that I can't take any actions, right? But I need to be able to process my sadness as well, rather than trying to shove it down, pretend that it's not there. Right, because we know what happens when we continue to do that. The sadness doesn't go away, right? We can railroad ourselves over it, but eventually the sadness, the frustration, the overwhelm, all of those feelings that we have when we shove them down and pretend they're not there, it eventually comes back to bite us. The goal here is not to get stuck in the swamp of our emotions, right? not to dive into the pool of melancholy and stay there and just sit in it. But we have to stop pretending that we don't have emotions, that we don't have feelings, uh, you know, difficult and otherwise, that we're somehow impervious to emotions. We are not. When we take the time to learn the tools to recognize our own feelings, to understand our thoughts, to decide what thoughts to keep and what thoughts to let go of, then we are able to digest our emotions properly and move through them rather than be consumed by them and then we're not going to be surprised when our actions don't change our feelings cleaning the junk drawer does not make me feel rested or ready to go out and have fun but if i decide that checking a nagging task off the list and you know i'm proud of myself for doing that and now i'm ready to go out and have fun That is a sentence in my brain that allows me to feel differently and actually go out and have fun, right? It's a sentence in my brain produced by me being clear that my thoughts create my feelings. And there's a huge difference there. When I decide that checking a box on my list is enough for today, even though there may be a million other tasks, right? On that to-do list or that should list, but I'm very consciously deciding that now I get to go out and now I'm going to choose to go have fun, then I'm allowing myself a pathway where I get more of what I want rather than feeling completely tied down to this endless list of to-dos and shoulds, right? If I want to feel rested and relaxed, if I want to have more fun, if I want to allow good stuff in my life, then I need to create more pathways and have different thoughts than I've had in the past about how I do things, right? Right. We have to get out of this space of feeling like I can only have fun. I can only be rested and relaxed and calm or happy or content if I've completed all the tasks, because we will never complete all the tasks. It's important for us to find the spaces to have the positive emotions, to decide that we're going to go out and intentionally get good stuff, right? Feel connected, feel engaged feel happy, do stuff that lights us up in order to have positive emotions. I'd love for you to sit and think about where this is coming up for you in your life. When are you expecting your actions to change your feelings? And not being facetious here, how is it working out for you? I hope to have shown you that we need to look at our thoughts in order to create different emotional experiences rather than expect to create emotions out of actions. And I hope that you're going to choose to sit down and think about how this comes up for you and where you want to try taking a different approach. You know, choosing to identify the emotions that are coming up, looking at your thoughts, instead of fixating on a task to do to try and change your emotional state. Again, I'm going to say it, But this is harder to do the work this way, to sit down and be with yourself and look at your thoughts and feelings rather than to to decide, well, I'm going to go clean the bathroom and then I'll feel better. But on the other side, when you actually sit down and get clear, right, and do this work, then you make space for more emotions that you want to have. Rather than, you know, ending up with the experience of, okay, I clean the bathroom and then I start feeling resentful because I'm having thoughts of, well, looks like I have to do everything around here, or I can't get a break. Or, you know, I have this, you know, cascade of new tasks that, you know, leads me feeling exhausted and overwhelmed because now that I've cleaned the bathroom, I decided I have to go clean the house and I need to reorganize this and do that job. Imagine if instead of repeating this experience over and over again, as many of us have done, you try doing this work with your thoughts and feelings, and you get to have a new experience. How would it feel to decide to take pride in your accomplishment, even if it's, quote unquote, just cleaning out the junk drawer? It takes some practice to change the way that we think, but this is absolutely possible for you. I can guarantee that you've done much harder things. You've learned many harder skills and you can do this too. So don't let that stop you from making this change in your own life. My friends, thank you as always for listening. And until next time, take care. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you as always for listening. To learn more about my coaching programs, head to www.healthierforgood.com. And if you love this podcast, please drop us a review on iTunes or support the show by clicking the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.